Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by David Dicker with the Greco. He is the head of field operations of North America. You know, Agreco is the company that is leading power generation in the oil and gas industry. It's definitely an interview you don't want to miss. Hey, have I told you about Teak? It's Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. It's one of the fastest growing advocacy groups in Texas. What can you gain by joining? It is designed to grow awareness for your brand, network, and of course, advocate for oil and gas. If you support oil and gas in Texas, this is an organization and a group that you definitely want to join. If you sign up now by going to txenergyadvocates.com, membership for this organization is free until December 31st. So don't wait. After that, there will be a fee to join the organization. Once again, to join the fastest growing Energy Advocates Energy Chamber just go to txenergyadvocates.com. Once again, that's txenergyadvocates.com and grab a free membership before December 31st. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. We have an exciting show to talk about our segment. Um, We have some really amazing news. The Port of Brownsville had some big news this week. Three LNG export facilities were approved all at the same time, but by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Now, that's unprecedented, isn't it? Because we have not had an LNG exporting facility. We've had, what, a few, but to see three all at once approved? Right. Well, it's just a confluence of timing of the three permits that uh, were submitted by the operators, the proposed operators, which is uh, Anova LNG, Rio Grande LNG, and Texas LNG. all at once, three in one day, it's totally unprecedented. I think we've only had nine or ten previous LNG export facilities permitted in total. And to have three in one day is rather amazing. And to have them all at the same port, which currently does not have a, an LNG export facility, the Port of Brownsville, boy, there's going to be some incredible activity going on in the near future down there in Brownsville. Oh, I can imagine. And, you know, that port was very, very excited about the possibility of one LNG and, you know, to see three and see all of the growth and activity going on in there. Good for them. I'm excited for them. The EIA now says that the United States has become a net exporter during the month of December, something that no one could have imagined taking place just a few years ago. Let's talk about what happened and why is this so important for our country? Yeah, you know, uh, just uh, four years ago this month, uh, the export of crude oil uh, in the United States that was produced in the United States was actually illegal unless you had a specific permit issued by the Department of Commerce. Uh, We we got a bill passed in December of 2015 that uh, reversed that insane policies left over from the 1970s. Right. And since then, uh, it has been an incredible 
uh, geometric progression in the total volumes uh, exported out of the United States. And of course, at the same time, we've had a, an amazing increase in overall U.S. production that has completely changed our energy security picture here in the United States. And, and so, yeah, we, we exported almost 4 million barrels of oil a day in, in September and imported less than that. And uh, suddenly we are a net exporter of crude oil. To, to give you a comparison, in 2006, the United States actually was a net importer of mm -hmm. about two-thirds of its daily oil production or daily oil consumption here in the United States. Now we're a net exporter of our daily oil Completely flipped around. Completely. It's, it's stunning. It's it's unprecedented. It's it's uh, no one could have ever imagined this happening just like you said a few years ago. Uh, it was not in anyone's minds that this was even possible. And now here we are, thanks to the incredible ingenuity of the oil and gas industry, the amazing development uh, at our port facilities, their, their ability to export this crude oil, particularly at the port of Corpus Christi, but also at Freeport and Brownsville and the port of Houston and a couple of ports in Louisiana. It's, it's um, extraordinary. And, you know, also the thing to think about is if we had not looked at that ban and now we are exporting more than we're importing, like you said earlier, we would be still very reliant, obviously, on all these other countries. And looking at the recent couple of years and a lot of the turmoil that has happened in other countries that we had really an oil stake in, thinking about would the situation be a lot different if the United States having to have a different outcome than what we've seen so far of not getting involved in conflict because the need really isn't as great as it has been in the past. You know, right. and, and I think about that's important to say because we have a lot of listeners that really are not in the inside track. They don't quite maybe understand how these things really affect them in a in a global way, in a security, national security way. But this is one great example. It's also it's also the price of gasoline. Um, yes. Just mm -hmm. remember, it's only been September when Iran launched those missile attacks at the Saudi oil facilities, a clear act of, of hostility uh, by their military. And it's been proven that Iran did launch those attacks. Um, the United States, five years ago, six, seven years ago, when we were importing still almost half of our energy needs, and a lot of it coming from the Middle East, the, the United States would have had a very compelling national security interest in intervening in that conflict between those two countries. Uh, this year, when it happened, uh, President Trump was able to say, you know what, uh, we're not going to respond militarily and uh, we're just going to increase sanctions and, and go on. And nobody got killed. Uh, no U.S. military service members ended up having to go into an armed conflict. And that's thanks, folks, that's thanks to your domestic oil and gas industry and the public policy that enabled this. And we all should keep that in mind. Uh, and, of course, the other side of it is we'd also uh, be paying $4 a gallon for gasoline or more. So um, it's really important stuff. It is. We should all keep that in mind. It is. You know, and then there's also the fact that, like, environmentally speaking, keeping it in the ground here, we're not going to do it here. Well, we're going to be getting it from <laughs> somewhere on the planet. Yeah. So if we all live on one planet, you know, we've got to look at it from a global perspective, and it means 
that we're going to be utilizing these this commodity somewhere in the world. Why not it be from the United States? And so let's switch gears a little bit because, you know, a lot of our listeners, everybody knows OPEC. They hear OPEC. But there's also OPEC plus countries. And they'll be meeting in Vienna in a few days to discuss extending their export limitation agreement. Uh, do you expect any surprises coming out of this meeting? And, and discuss the differences, just real quick, between OPEC and OPEC plus. Sure, yeah. So... The OPEC plus nations uh, include all the member countries of OPEC, uh, the Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and, and all the Middle East countries and Nigeria. Uh, but it also includes, uh, they've, they've structured this deal along with Russia and Mexico and a few other non-OPEC members uh, in order to try to control uh, the amount of crude oil on the market they entered into their initial deal three years ago this month uh, with a target of, of raising the price of crude, which was then stuck. Uh, the Brent price, the international price, was, was then stuck in the mid-40s. They wanted to get it up to about, their target price was between 65 and $70. This week it was trading at about 63 so they've been pretty successful in, in getting it up in that level and keeping it there. And, and so, yes, they're meeting at the end of next week to either renew that thing or actually uh, with its current production levels or actually make some additional cuts. I think there will be additional cuts, frankly, in the exports of some of these countries agreed to because there is a general consensus that the, the market is slightly oversupplied. So I expect them to cut a few hundred thousand barrels a day out of their quotas uh, at this next meeting. Very interesting. You know, it's so important that when we think about how the United States looks at energy, oil and gas specifically, that, you know, it is not just a United States point of view. And obviously, when we're talking about all these other countries and how to balance the price of oil and how that reflects to the average consumer at the gas pump. I think the picture that we paint every single week starts emerging that you really need to know about these things, folks, and you really need to understand the basics of it. And of course, this is why we're here. And of course, we want our listeners to email us any questions you have. David, our experts, uh, we're here to answer questions. And again, you can email us at radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. David, thanks for an amazing segment. You really put things in a way we can understand. And I look forward to having you back next week. I'll look forward to it. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, 
Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Dickert, the head of oil and gas for the Americas for Agreco. David, thank you again for coming in. Um, and helping break down, first of all, the energy sector, but most importantly, what is Agreco doing and what is their part in helping this. Today, we're actually going to talk about something that probably not very many people have heard, <laughs> and that term is microgrids. So let me break down for the public or for our listeners, what is a microgrid? Microgrids are deployed all over the world, and they're definitely in use in the United States. Navigate Research defines a microgrid as a distribution network that incorporates a variety of possible distributed energy resources that can be optimized and aggregated into a single system that can balance loads and generation with or without energy storage and is capable of islanding, whether connected or not connected, to a traditional utility power grid. That's a lot. What is that? <laughs> so, so yeah, that is quite a bit. <clears throat> um, simply put, it's um, it's a group of generators connected to um, a utility power line system, overhead distribution. So, you know, as you're driving down the road and you look and you, you see the power lines, you know, all those power lines are going back to a, a centralized substation. That substation is then uh, going back to a power plant where it either has um, a nuclear power plant, a coal power plant, a natural gas power plant. Um, and these are very large-scale power plants, right? So this, um, this power plant connects to electrical distribution systems that, that, that uh, take power for miles and miles and miles. A mini-grid or a micro-grid is replicating that on a very small scale. So it's a group of generators operating together, connecting to uh, a uh, overhead distribution system or a power line system. And it's a very efficient way uh, to transmit and produce power for customers to where the utility grid either doesn't exist or is, uh, is overloaded or taxed. So um, we, uh, we operate standalone island systems with microgrids. Uh, we work with utilities in parallel with their existing system and put a microgrid in place with a utility system. So we operate microgrids on a lot of different scales, and they can be really small from something to run 
uh, two or three or four production pads, and they can become really large to where they can operate, um, you know, whole cities if we need to. Now, we know that, I mean, typically most folks really don't even think about when you go and you turn on your lights or, uh, you know, you just have access to power. And the only time you really think about, well, how is all this put together is when you actually have a power outage. Right. Um, most of the large municipalities don't experience a whole lot of that, but rural really does. And, of course, where the majority of the drilling is occurring is out in rural areas. So I would think that this microgrids are extremely important, um, of course, to the energy sector. And, and Agreco has been able to look at what are the problems and try to come up with a solution. I want to ask you, though... Um, what areas do you see utilizing microgrids the most? So is it, um, is it obviously Permian Basin where it's somewhat desolate and, uh, you know, out there on their own? Or are, are all the shell plays primarily using uh, microgrids, I would imagine? But are there other areas that are really utilizing this technology? So we're seeing the uh, an increase for demand uh, for microgrids in the Permian Basin right now because of the, the large amount of activity that's going on. Right. But um, um, there are a lot of areas that should be using microgrids that aren't using them today. Um, Why is that? Think, think, think about it this way. So, and let's just talk about artificial lift. We have individual um, uh, artificial lift uh, stations or production platforms within a particular area, and each one of them has their own individual generator on site, right? So that generator that's on site that's operating that artificial lift system most of the time only operates at about 30%, 40% capacity. Hmm. The, the, the power is on site to get everything started. It takes more power to start everything and get everything operational. Once it's running, the power demand t- tends to go down. So on average, these machines are operating at, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 percent capacity. What a microgrid allows you to do is scale out all that inefficiency. So you're putting a larger power generation plant, and instead of individually powering those, you're powering uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, up to 50, 100, however many you want to at any given time. So what happens is is your microgrid is highly efficient with the power that it's producing because you scale out all of that uh, starting power that you would need individually at those sites. The other inefficiency, the other efficiency, should I say, that the microgrid brings is when you're able to connect the field gas with the microgrid so you eliminate the need to bring in additional fuel sources like diesel fuel or transport LNG or CNG. So if you can if you can locate yourself where a flare is at and you're flaring the gas, well, then you divert that gas that's going to flare. You send it to a 10-megawatt or 5-megawatt microgrid to power 25 or 30 production pads. All of a sudden now you're getting extremely efficient, yes. and it's almost getting to the cost of what you would pay for normal utility because your fuel cost is non-existent because you're using fuel right. that you would normally flare. Yeah. So it's basically free fuel, right? Exactly. Um, and the challenge for microgrids is you have to build out the overhead distribution. David, with that, I do have to take a quick break. But when we return, I want to get back on how power grids are built out. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The 
vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 and we're back our guest today is David Dickard the head of oil and gas of the Americas with the Greco and David before the break we were talking about microgrids and before the break you were talking about how companies are actually utilizing a recycling type of process if they can get near where they would normally be flaring this natural gas, they're reusing it. So talk to me a little bit about how a microgrid is set up. One, I guess you have to build out this infrastructure right, on the microgrid right. is what you're saying. So, Right. So a couple of the challenges that, that's faced with putting a microgrid in is you have to get right away on land, right? So you have multiple landowners out in the oil field, and um, you have to get right away to build out overhead distribution, and that overhead distribution, you know, it ranges. It's anywhere from 75000 to 100000 125000 a mile to build out 20,000-volt overhead distribution. So you get right away from landowners, and, and you have the initial cost that you put in place that, um, that you have to, to build out the uh, overhead distribution. Well, you're going to have to build that out anyway because eventually you have to get utility to these sites. For the long-term solution, you're going to operate on utility. Um, however, let's just talk about the efficiencies that a microgrid brings. So we see anywhere from a 50 to a 60% reduction in overall cost from going from single site generation to a microgrid. So regardless of That's the size, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And so you start thinking about, well, I've got I've to put all this capital into building out overhead distribution. I've got to put some effort into getting right away with landowners, and there's a cost that comes with that, but the payback on that cost happens very quickly uh, because of the savings that you're able to provide with a microgrid. And the other thing is because the microgrid is so flexible, let's say that in the middle of your oil field you have a landowner that, well, they don't want to see electrical distribution across their land. Well, then you put two microgrids in. So you stop. You don't have to deal with that landowner right now. 
you stop a microgrid in this area and you just put instead of putting one you put two and you just route around where that challenge is with landowners of of running of running power line um and then eventually you know you have to put a permanent solution in place for your utility but the beauty of the microgrid is the overall cost profile um, is so close to utility, it's not such a cost burden to your production. So when I say that there are more and more cases um, out in the oil field that we should be using microgrids, that's why I make that statement. So what I hear you saying is that the operators are getting wise to what a great investment it is to be using the microgrid. And um, it's good. I, I mean, I, I, I can't see a fault with that because it is really saving them money and it is good for the environment again. <laughs> right. It is. There is a fault. There is there is a big challenge that you have to face. Okay. What's that? It's reliability. Okay. So think about it. So you have um, a field that has 25 individual production sites and each one of those stations has a generator. So you have 25 generators. If one of those generators on those 25 fields stops running, you just lose one field of production. The other 24 are still producing. When you move to a microgrid, if you're not 100% reliable, if you're not able to drive reliability that is similar to utility or better, if that microgrid goes down, you lose your entire production. That's not good. That's not good. So, But uh, you guys also have ARM, which it, is your remote. That's right. That's right. So that, that's the point. There, You have to engineer reliability into this solution. So we do a lot of microgrids, and we have a lot of success behind putting microgrids into action. You have to make sure that you've engineered reliability within to it, and you have to make sure that you have an infrastructure like our remote monitoring system uh, that monitors the site and gives us real-time readings of how things are performing. And uh, if there's an issue, it, it flags us, and we're able to correct that issue before it becomes an outage-type issue. So you have to engineer, and you have to have solutions in place that almost guarantee reliability because while you gain the efficiency with the microgrid, if it's not reliable, then it, you're going to lose all of that efficiency. Right. So, um, And if you're not monitoring, who knows how long if it right. goes down, how long it's been offline, if you will. And that's, that's right. definitely not a, a good scenario. Can, can I uh, go back and kind of drill down? Walk me through, you know, most of us don't really realize how an oil rig begins and the type of scenario in which... It's required to power it up. I mean, I think everybody sees as they're driving along the freeway um, a rig up and it's operational. But a real understanding of where it begins and how do you get power when you look out and there is no power lines, there's absolutely nothing. This is a good scenario to help us all understand. This is exactly what what need we need to figure out a solution for the energy sector um, it needs to be done in an efficient and, of course, environmentally friendly way. And um, so I want to talk about how does one oil rig get started and how is a Greco plane a part in that. But, David, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get on that subject. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Dickard with Agreco. And David, we've we've been on this discussion of microgrids. Uh, what are they? How is the oil and gas 
maximizing efficiency, uh, utilizing greener technology, and this is one another great way that they are taking advantage of it. And, and Agreco is coming online with these uh, great products. But I want to let's back up a little bit before the break. I was talking about it's. It's hard to understand and imagine how does a rig go up and how does it get power when if you look out, it's surrounded by a thousand acres and there's absolutely no power lines anywhere in sight. Um, And all you see is a road that leads in where all of the uh, uh, workers and the trucks and everything necessary to get the site up. Mm -hmm. How, How is a microgrid utilized in that sense of powering up a rig? Or how does a rig get powered up and get that initial power to bring it online? How does it come on? Right. So generally, um, when the drilling starts, it's 15 to 30-day process to to drill the well. Um, And, you know, as the drilling rig comes in, it generally comes in with its own generators, their diesel generators. Um, they're they're with the with the rig themselves, so they go ahead and they they, they drill the hole and and uh, then they put the infrastructure on site of however they're going to produce that particular well for long term, right? Right. And there's a lot of different ways that 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 happens. Um, where we're seeing microgrids come into play with supporting the drilling aspect is that we're seeing more multi well pads come into production especially in permian basin exactly. there's a lot more coming online <clears throat> so what happens is is a drilling rig is going to go on site it drill once it drills one hole and then it moves you know relatively close proximity to that one and drills another one and then drills another one and another one and um you know up in western canada we're seeing areas that have 30 wells on one pad and when you when you get to that type of scale, it's how can you more efficiently produce the power for the drilling rig? Exactly. Well, it's in the form of a microgrid. Yeah. So instead of utilizing the diesel generators, we put a uh, electrical infrastructure on site at the at the drilling pad. So the first well is drilled, and then once that that well comes into production, we utilize the gas off of that well to power the rig and operate the rest of the drilling area. So. It's not as prevalent right now in the Permian Basin, but the more that this multi-well pad expands out, um, there's applications uh, to do it a different way that's more efficient for both the producer and the environment. Interesting. Once utilities are run out there and they can now move to that type of power, Um, are these microgrids still in place? Are they still utilized? I mean, what happens when right. utilities come into play? So there's a load study that the utility begins to do uh, because they have to build out long-term infrastructure. So here's how a microgrid really makes sense for production. Um, in a lot of cases, as these well pads come online, they first require quite a bit of power. Um, and then over time, the power needed to artificially lift the oil from the ground begins to drop because you're not moving as much water off of the, off of the well, um, and things begin to stabilize out. So what happens is, is initially, initially when the pad is brought into production, let's say that this pad needs 500 kW. And then over a course of six months, that power drops down to only need, say, 200 kW. And it's going to need 200 kW to produce that pad for the, for the foreseeable future, right? 
So why should you spend the time and effort to put in a permanent utility with, with the power capacity that you only need for six months? It's an added cost. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's added overhead distribution infrastructure that you really don't need. So where we come into play is we're able to put in the larger power systems that the wells need in that short period of time, and it allows producers to work with a utility to build out utility for the actual need that they're going to need for the long-term future. For the long term. Right. So we're able to uh, we're able to scale that cost back uh, for that particular producer. So we're seeing a lot of folks that um, uh, will build out overhead distribution and build substations with permanent power only to find that for the long-term foreseeable future, they're only going to use that at, at, at a 60% capacity. One is if they put in a, a microgrid for six months, eight months to a year, then they can actually build out a smaller system that costs less capital uh, that they're actually going to use for, for long-term, and, and it's more efficient. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, David, how long does it take to put a microgrid in? So the overhead distribution is what takes the longest. Um, so however fast you can get the land right away and build out the overhead distribution. Um, for us, uh, we, we've got a modular system, and it's fairly quick. So we could put in a 3-megawatt microgrid in a couple of days. We could put a 10-megawatt microgrid in in two weeks, and we could put a 20-megawatt microgrid in in a month. So it's very quick to, to, uh, to install, and uh, it's very quick to get up into operation, and it comes out in half the time it takes it to put in. So uh, when you build out the microgrid and you want to switch over to utility, it's just a matter of closing fuses and connecting it to the utility, and within a matter of weeks we're gone and you never knew we were there. Well, this is something a little off topic, but as we start seeing these uh, this technology coming online, it gives me hope that even uh, communities that are rural that deal with a lot of blackouts and stuff like that, I think we will see as we develop more technology in that area, not necessarily in oil and gas, uh, just better utilities and less interruption with the utilities um, as we start seeing this technology come online. Great. David, we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. 
Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. Our guest today is David Dickert, head of oil and gas for the Americas for Greco. And David, before the break, well, actually this whole show has been built around microgrids, trying to understand a little bit more about the technology, how it's being utilized, and most importantly, how it's efficient, and it's definitely helping the operator save money. It's, it's, it's a tight market right now with oil prices hovering around 60. They're definitely getting more efficient. And, and truly, I think it's companies coming to the rescue to help them uh, continue to see a profit. So, of course, they're encouraged to continue to drill. But how is it that Agreco, in what way is Agreco doing things that are more energy efficient in the microgrid area mm-hmm. that an operator is taking clear advantage of? Right. I'll talk a little bit about scalability within the microgrid application. And um, um, I think one of the things that's, that's unique and you have to take advantage of is the uh, um, monitoring technology that's available today. And uh, like a lot of companies, we have our own remote monitoring type scheme that we have in place uh, that supports our business as well as our customers' business. And when you couple that to the microgrid, um, earlier I was talking about power demand changes over time within the microgrid. And if you can monitor and reliably understand what that electrical demand is, you can scale and change the capacity that you have installed with the microgrid and um, either scale up the size of the microgrid over time and then reduce the size of the microgrid over time. So, you know, uh, common practice would be to sit down with a client and say, okay, you're going to need 10 megawatts of power here on this microgrid. Well, that's the most you'll ever need. But we're more interested in is what do you need right now? And we want to 
install the capacity that you need now in real time. So why would you pay for 10 megawatt microgrid when you only need two? Exactly. Right. So what this remote monitoring does for us, it allows us to it allows us to better understand the, the, the demand for electricity and we will scale up the microgrid over time. So we understand that we need 10 megawatts, but right now today we only need one megawatt. And as the field begins to expand, we begin to expand and grow the microgrid. And as the, the, the wells become more mature and their power demand begins to drop because right. of what we were talking about earlier, right. we're looking at that load demand through our remote monitoring and we're able to collaborate with the producer and say, look, we've peaked at 10 megawatts. Now we're seeing an eight megawatt demand. We don't see that changing. Let's reduce the capacity. And really what we're talking about is overall cost. Mm -hmm. So we're able to scale the cost of the power and get really efficient for the producer by, by, by utilizing technology. You know, one of the things when we decided uh, to enter into this partnership to do this six series on just energy as a whole, I really thought about it. And one of my hopes was that we would really start helping the average person listening to the show understand oil and gas is highly technical. It's a great industry to work in, and it's actually an extremely dynamic industry. And it's companies that are thinking ahead and figuring out what the needs are, and especially always thinking about the environment and how to do things better and more efficient. And of course, the operators are just so happy to jump online and save money and give something back to their shareholders. <laughs> well, well, agreed. And and what I think what the industry is really trying to do now, and, and we're trying to play as big a part in this as we can, is begin to shave off those peaks and valleys that the oil and gas industry is known for, the right. boom and the bust, yes. right? And, you know, it, it, why would you go into an industry that you know that a bust is going to come if the boom's happening now? So I think with all these efficiencies that uh, companies like Agreco are putting into play, you begin to shave that off. So you get a more long-term, consistent type of industry that you don't have those peaks and valleys to where you have to fight your way through. True. And the other, I think, important factor is, you know, if you look at world demand on energy, we haven't even peaked it. It's, it keeps coming and more and more and more countries need it and more and more countries are coming online. They found a new uh, reserve in Bahrain just the other day. Um, as, as the world's demand starts growing for energy, I'd like to think, I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that it, it, it is the United States energy producers that are leading the way in the technology because if it's developed here, it's developed with EPA standards, That's it's right. developed with regulation, it's mindfully put together that mm -hmm. it's technology that can be utilized in other parts of the country. I'll give you a really good example of that and, and um, um, we do a, a lot of work all over the world uh, in offshore and land-based uh, upstream oil and gas. And there's a big play that's forming, and it's been forming over the last probably five years down in Argentina. It's uh, the Vaca Morta is, is the shell play, and it's over uh, on the western side outside of Noken, Argentina. And we're playing a big role out in that particular oil field because we're taking the technology and the learning that we have here in North America, and we're working with some of the largest service companies 
all the big players here in North America are beginning to go over there and support them. And all this technology is going to help develop the Vaca Morta. And while they may not be thinking about the efficiencies right now, they're getting the benefit of them, and they're not having to recreate the wheel, so to speak. Um, they're getting the, the, the best learning of, of what North America has had. And that's just one example. There's so many more examples that are in other countries, uh, but Argentina is a really good example right now. Excellent, excellent ending to this program. David, that is all the time we have for this show. I look forward to next week when we are on to power systems and automation in in the area of power boosters. But until then, that's the end of the show. Thank you for coming in, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you very much. And that's all the time we have. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. Or follow us on Twitter at Shell Mag. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then... Adios. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.